0: Welcome back, Universe, to the SFBCPC, S1. That's an abrid for Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast Season 1. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Childhood's End, written by Arthur C. Clarke in Earth Year 1953. Shall we the fantasies. fantasies Marge with harsh realities And
1: as the sand hoist
0: Find your eyes as growing, growing moist the All the Fears poised. never voiced So you have to make the final voice
2: Who are you? <laughs> Who am <are laughs> I? Uh, uh, so
0: know the
1: reason
0: why. No. <laughs> I'm your host, Brent Aldrich, and joining me as always via holographic projection is John Love. Hi, John. Hi, Brent. So, John.
2: So, Brent. Uh- so John, I, got, I just well. Here's how we'll start out. Uh, just uh, f- f- fair warning, uh, I've come come down with a little bit of the for uh, the projection virus. Uh, yeah. My yeah. projection is you know cutting in and out a little bit um, due to this this virus that's plaguing the galaxy. Is that what that is? That is what that is. <laughs> I thought I th- uh, that also is what. Uh, fucked up my singing voice there.
0: Yeah, that makes uh, sense.
2: So, you know, normally stop being, being a holographic projection these days.
0: Yeah, normally you sing like an angel. Perfect angel.
2: <laughs> Thank you. You're
0: welcome. Yeah, I uh, I, I, th- I thought that you just like uh, adjusted your settings like you turned the brightness all the way down or something. No, this yeah. is
2: a virus plaguing the nation. I just want everybody and by nation I mean <laughs> universe and I just want everybody to know about it. Uh, so I made a hashtag. Uh, hashtag holographic projection lives matter.
0: Yes, true. So yeah.
2: So stay in, stay topical with that. Mm-hmm. P- post it on all of your social medias. Does
0: it only it only affects you if you are a holographic projection? Right. Okay. So I I can't catch it.
2: No. Okay. you Should be fine. Thank goodness. Yeah.
0: That's funny you say. That. I've actually just got a, a normal strain of the uh, the space flu.
2: Sure. Uh, so.
0: I, I when I was actually doing a sound check before you got here, I, I could hear my own voice um, and I can it's it's the first thing that happens with the space flu. You're of course. you get someone else's voice and uh, mm-hmm. that's what I've got right now. Yep. <coughs> second Sorry. second step, you get someone else's face. You gotta catch this stuff early.
2: Yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome though if one of the symptoms was losing five legs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And yes. I'm still what if? On that kick. What if you? Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh. Question. Hashtag two legs matter.
0: <laughs> what if you only have two legs and then you, and you lose five? Then
2: you lose three fingers, <laughs> and both your legs.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Real tragedy. <laughs> that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Or if you have a pet spider, it loses three legs.
0: <laughs> In lieu of your fingers no yeah, yeah oh okay okay that m- seems to make sense that checks out thanks yeah um uh, so john back where back where we started childhood's end yep heard of it
2: uh boy have i <laughs> um my dad
0: keeps wishing it would
2: end for me that's right uh no, uh, yeah, this is a this was a great book. It was one that had many different main characters throughout the book. Yeah, man, uh, and all sorts of stuff happens, and that's that's not meant to be just a really stupid thing. to <laughs> so yeah. waste time me saying that. Uh, there are a lot of things happen because uh, one of the main, I guess, antagonists throughout the book are the overlords.
0: Overlords.
2: And because they don't uh, exist, or they, they don't have the same lifespan as humans, uh, the main supervisor of Earth, Overlord Karelin, uh sort of interacts with a whole bunch of different humans. Um, and they all kind of have their own individual goals.
0: Wow. We just jumped yeah. right into this, didn't we?
2: Absolutely. Well, okay. No, no tangents ever.
0: <sighs> Never, ever. Well, mm-hmm. okay. If.
2: Want to play Never Have I Ever real quick?
0: Yeah. Uh, go. Uh,
2: hold up. Haul some seven of your legs.
0: Yep. Can you see them all?
2: Yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, never have I ever had seven legs up.
0: Well, do I put one down? If I have,
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. Okay, I only got six legs up.
2: All right, your turn. Uh, uh, uh.
0: Never have I ever been such a. <laughs> uh. I don't know. I was I was trying to I was trying to take a jab at you with well, the, my six impossible. legs. Yeah,
2: you're trying to hit a holographic projection while he's down. That's pretty messed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying classic, to do. Classic seven legger thing to do.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I've done most everything. That's the trouble. I'm trying to think of. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Wait a minute. What haven't All I right. done? Well, if you've done
2: everything. We'll just say that you lost, and we'll move on. Okay. Fair enough. Sure. Um,
0: well. You actually—you said a thing that I actually had kind of a note of to not forget, and I'm sure I would have forgotten. There's no main character in this book um, at all. It's super interesting. Um, yeah, absolutely. So much so that I had to make a, a list of characters because they kept changing, and like somebody's storyline would end a long time before the book was finished. So, mm-hmm. you know, whoever I thought was important at the beginning, um, maybe just not—they—they they might have passed away. They might have any number of things might have happened, but there's not in the book anymore. Super cool. And I can't think of any book that we've read that's been quite like this.
2: Uh, yeah, I totally agree. It's, uh, I mean, we've definitely read books that have a lot of characters, yeah. like Dune, for instance, has a bajillion characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Paul Atreides ran all the way through that. And uh, there's no, no such thing going on here. Because, I mean, you look at even page one, the first thing we hear about is this Helena Lyakov, uh, Russian cosmonaut. Who's that? Who, uh, she, right? <laughs> she's, it, she's in the book from page, uh, what, three to five? Because yeah. the book, for some reason, starts on page three, at least in my copy. And uh, that's it. She's never in it again. Yeah. So, so, yeah, from there we go to the secretary general... Um, of the United Nations, whose name is Stormgrin. Storm, Stormgren, yeah. He had a pretty big role in at least the first of three chapters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Stormgren was the, um, like I said, Secretary General of the United Nations, and he is the first and only, well, yeah, he's the first and only um, human to interact with the overlords yeah. at that particular time. So, at least
0: in his lifetime so let let's set this up real quick so very loose fr- uh, framework of this book it's set on earth at some point never heard of it <laughs> uh, long time <laughs> gone <laughs> <laughs> at some point uh, some sp- some spaceships show up in the sky mm-hmm. and just sit there one of these extraterrestrials the overlords that you were talking about uh mm-hmm. Wait a minute. How do you pronounce this? How do you pronounce his name?
2: I said Carolyn.
0: I'm I'm positive that that's correct, but I just I really want to make it sound like he's a southern lady, like
2: (laughs) (laughs) Carolyn. Carolyn. Hey Hey. (laughs) Carolyn. Carolyn, you get in here. You get in your spaceship. I like how we've studied uh, the English language <laughs> and its
0: dialect so well that we know what a southern Let's
1: movie try. sounds like now. Well, Karel and I do declare. Well,
0: <laughs> uh, So anyway, he's the only one of the overlords that for a while anyone on Earth talks to. He talks mm-hmm. to the Stormgren in person, uh, but but not visible. Just again, just they hang out like their pals.
2: Yep, uh, I'm Carolyn, and I'm hiding behind the screen. <laughs> More, I'm pretty sure that's... I think I audiobooked that. I'm not positive, that's but correct. I think that's a direct quote from the book somewhere.
0: Um, and uh, the overlords hang out. People on Earth don't know what they look like. They don't know what they want. The overlords tell them very little, but they they make years of peace and prosperity for Earth people. Eventually, True. they reveal their physical forms. Big surprise. And uh and then later on other things happen.
2: Yep. Good should we just
0: quit there? I, <laughs> I think, think we kinda nailed it. Is there anything else to talk about?
2: Uh, that sounds about it.
0: Yeah, that's probably about it.
2: We could just, you know, I don't know. Role play Carolyn and, and another overlord in their relationship.
0: Okay, I'll be uh I'll be uh I have these names written out. I'll be Rashavaric. Alright. You be Carolyn. <laughs>
2: yeah. Caroline. Alright, go ahead. Well, uh I- Carolyn. Well, hi, Rashi. Oh, my. It's sure sweltering out here, ain't it? You want to come up and get some sweet tea?
0: It's stickier than the back of an alligator, I'd
2: say. What's an alligator? We're overlords. I don't know what that means.
0: I've been doing research in books and stuff at the library.
2: Oh, Really? How, in the library, do you find any cookbooks about how to make my perfect sweet tea? Now, what would you... you can look under K for and sweet tea. Why well, are you just the sweetest thing,
0: Carolyn?
2: Oh, oh, the sweetest thing. <laughs> End of scene. End of... Yeah, that, you can find that's, that in, yeah, uh, in a book pretty... that we'll be putting out later this year. I think that's right. Called Carolyn's sweet tea. <laughs>
0: Right, in which every character from every book we've read just visits Carolyn and tries her sweet tea. And
2: it's delicious.
0: <laughs> so I mean, good, you
2: can't can't stay away.
0: No way. The overlords. Okay, here right. here's the thing. So one of the I think one of the ideas in this book that uh, I guess uh, flying saucers just show up in the air, huh? That's what happens.
2: Uh, yeah, pretty much. And um... then
0: Carol Karell, Carolin. Kare- maybe talks through the loudspeaker so everybody can hear, but there's not really that's really it for communication up front. Uh so one of the ideas, and then this happens I think later a couple times in the book, um, is this idea of uh of first contact, um, like from one race with an extraterrestrial race and how that's handled and what that's like. Um this mm-hmm. happens much, much, much later and I want to talk about it, but I only bring that up because I think it's an interesting idea, particularly because in this book, it's set on Earth with humans who have never Mm -hmm. encountered any other kind of extraterrestrial race. And this book actually had me thinking a lot about, um, I think the last book we read, The Three-Body Problem, also in which humankind encounters an extraterrestrial race. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think there's a lot of similarities there. Anyway... In this one, the first time the humans encounter it, there's this other idea of human curiosity, which keeps appearing in this book. But really, humans in this book don't get much say, I guess, in, yeah. in how that encounter happens. Or,
2: I mean, something else that, and this might be a slight tangent, which I know one of the rules of the podcast is no yeah, tangents, no, but sorry. let me have this one that parallels the three-body problem more specifically is that so when they meet the other race and and they haven't maybe met the race yet in the three-body problem if I remember correctly like they're on their way and they're just like halting technology essentially um but that's one thing that uh in in this book that the overlords do as well they sort of halt space travel uh they definitely halt the technology that allows man to get away from their planet yeah one of uh one of caroline's uh quotes is the stars are not for man yeah and so that's i mean that parallels pretty well um but that's yeah that's one of the interesting things is they the overlords they sort of end war and they end all of our major problems but then yeah don't allow us Certain sort of allow humans. I don't know why I said us, I guess putting Oops. myself in the in the shoes of the protagonist, right. they have two legs just like me, so I felt okay doing that. But they, I totally lost my train of thought. But essentially, um,
0: uh, geez.
2: cut it, take that out.
0: That's right, we're leaving it in.
2: No, <laughs> uh, crime in Italy,
0: yeah. Well, I, I think. I don't know exactly why I brought that up. I, I guess just to, a little bit compared to three by problem, but also just, to, I don't know. I, I guess that first time that humans encounter these extraterrestrials, these overlords, they, they don't know, they really don't know anything about them. And the mm-hmm. one attempt made to like shoot a nuclear weapon at one of their ships just a- absolutely doesn't work. Like They squelch it, essentially, the overlords do. Mm-hmm. And the overlords won't tell them what they're doing or why they're there or anything. And so this idea that any kind of – there's no communication possible, basically, for 50-plus mm-hmm. years in the book. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the only communication that they have, again, is between the the Secretary General um, Stormgren, who um, – I mean, at that point, because he's the, definitely the main protagonist for the first chapter of the book – where he is, you know, the only one interacting with, with Caroline and is the one who's essentially relaying the messages of the overlords and is, and giving these sort of dictates that will, you know, cure all the earth's problems, bring about the sort of golden age of humanity. And in the very early, the first chapter, Stormbrin's main antagonist is, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, what's his name? Yeah. Um, Wayne, is Wainwright? That Wainwright, yeah, yep, Wainwright, who is the leader of the Freedom League. Yeah. who even though uh, the overlords are bringing you know all this peace and prosperity, he ain't happy. He would rather uh, we sort of flounder and figure it out on our own. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I keep saying us and our, <laughs> but uh, but anyways, yeah, he, he would rather see the Earth you know go its own way, even if. Um, that is a little bit more bloody, or you know, not quite as easy of a path as uh, the overlords have laid out for them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Early on, there that that whole narrative, the whole storyline about Stormgren getting kidnapped and it being this underground, literally group of of uh, I don't know what you would call them.
2: I call them freedom
0: leaguers. Freedom leaguers, uh, but but more radicalized freedom leaguers. Um, yep. That Wainwright I didn't even know about. For sure. I was I was kind of into that storyline, and then that was one of those that the the overlords were just like slowed time way down or something, and pulled mm-hmm. Stormgren out of it, and it was like over and done with, yep. uh, and headed in a different direction.
2: Yeah, which is kind of I don't know. This might talk about some of the themes of the book, like over and overarching themes. But what was interesting there, like how the book itself is structured, is like you you know you kind of are on this path with a particular set of characters and you kinda of see oh what's gonna happen, like you see um, their sort of ideas, their plans, and then overlords just squelch it and yeah. then in the book it's just over. Yeah.
1: yeah. So
2: I don't know, to me it kind of points to how much more technologically powerful the overlords are yeah. like than humans. It's like I've invested it over, you know, 70 pages in this what seems like storyline A and mm-hmm. then the, like the overlords uh, just end that for me as the reader of the book, which yeah. is kind of interesting too. Yeah. We have these plans and we're going to take down the overlords and then they say, Nope. And then onto the next story yeah. in the actual book, which is kind of nice. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I I, okay. mean, I think that's well, just sort of, yeah, go ahead.
0: No, that, that reminded me. So in the, the prologue in here uh, where we are on, I completely forgot this was a section of the book uh, because it was one of these instances where it sets it up and sets it up and then it's just completely over. So you've got Americans and Russians both working on building giant spacecraft and they're sort of finding out that the other countries or maybe they've shared trade secrets or whatever. But then they they look up basically and see these alien spacecraft coming and mm-hmm. so it just, like, ends the space race on Earth immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so two things about that. One, so those characters are never in the book again. <laughs> yep. Um, and two, though, it did remind me a little bit of some of Arthur C. Clarke's other work. I've I've read and seen the film 2001, though it's been a long time for either of those. But mm-hmm. that introductory scene of, like, building this huge... Um, spacecraft in two different places and then these like spaceships appearing seems like a very similar like kind of cinematic visually dramatic introduction as in 2001 with that monolith appearing out of nowhere and and mm-hmm. another race encountering it and it, it essentially changing everything
2: yeah absolutely that's um it's, it's really interesting because i guess one of the if you really want to take the sort of a step back from the book it seems like the main sort of antagonist is um, I don't know humans thinking of these the sort of higher powers as something that's not necessarily restraining them but but you know they can't surpass really um, so something directing their destiny in some ways mm-hmm. um, and then the protagonist is almost strictly human ingenuity human mm-hmm. imagination like ways that we can sort of dream bigger than the reality that faced with essentially because yeah. um, that's what you know almost every protagonist has in common in some ways there's um um like i said that the un general stormgren yeah. uh is pretty much like he just wants to see you know human race or humankind reach the sort of pinnacle of itself um but then also like has this sort of subplot of wants to see what Ker- carolyn looks like yeah and, you know, he's one of the real believers in Carolyn and his vision, but it's just like, I just got to know what this, you know, creature looks like. Um, and so the imagination is pushing him forward, and that becomes a little bit of a moment of tension between those two characters, even though at the very end, when he finally does get a glimpse uh, of Carolyn the Overlord, he doesn't tell anybody about it, and he, like, sort of acknowledges that Carolyn knew he was going to try and look look at him. Yeah. So it still is like... Yes, humans are imaginative and they're curious and he sees that come to fruition, but only because the overlords knew it was going to happen and sort of allowed it to happen.
0: Right. Early on. Well, and throughout the book, I tried to make notes. I've got at least five different times where there is there is this idea that specifically Clark uses the phrase human curiosity Mm -hmm. um, as as being. I, I guess, like, what sets people apart to some extent. Stormgren, I think, says when he's talking to C- Cara Ellen that uh, curiosity is one of the most dominant of human characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit later on.
2: Yeah, I mean, just while you're looking that up, yeah. just as a, maybe a quick aside, um, I mean, one of the things, because it does seem like the Overlords on some level, and you come to realize even to a higher degree, they do kind of admire humans for that sort of curiosity or something that's sort of different than just pure intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's one moment, and I can't remember who says it, and I didn't mark it. I just wrote this down. But um, in the book, it says that uh, of the overlords, that they have sheer intellectual power and not any special talent. So, you know, they, they are this super, you know, highly potent being that's incredibly intelligent but doesn't have you know anything sort of outside of that does not have this human curiosity does not have this ability as we will later see to like uh harness the quote-unquote unknown Mm -hmm. um anything that science will allow them to know they kind of know but anything outside of that uh and there's sort of a subtext of religion and uh sort of other sorts of spirituality coming into the book that the overlords themselves just don't understand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That um, it, And I, I looked up the others. It doesn't matter a whole lot other than to say that that, as you're saying, that idea of human ingenuity or, or imagination really is what propels it beyond these overlords. There is the one that Rashiverik, who um, we were role-playing earlier, uh, Rashi, is the one who gets set the task or chooses the task of, um, of reading through this one entire library that's based mm-hmm. on things like the paranormal or like um, well, it's basically the X Files that he goes and and reads um, through to try to understand this other element of of humanity that's outside of just intellect or will or reason. And and so he's a character. He's one of the first ones too. So at some point after this fifty years or so, the overlords do reveal their physical form. And and are just sort of starting to mingle into human society. So Rashi is one of the first ones who we really see just in a setting doing that, which is a pretty great scene because he's like nine feet tall, and so it just stands out for that reason. Spoilers: he also looks like a devil. What? Yeah, did you get to that part?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. <clears throat>
0: Yeah, which is, which is kind of a nice twist, so so when uh, um Ellen is saying, like, no, 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 people really aren't ready to deal with our physical form, like, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe they're accepting and imaginative, but, like, you you really aren't ready to deal with this yet, and it's because they look yeah. like uh, classical representations of the devil. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, yeah, and it's lucky that, I mean, they're lucky that my particular character trait is not to hate people who have too many fingers. Because how many fingers uh, they, have? they have? They have seven fingers. Do they really? Hand. Two thumbs. Yeah, wow. five fingers in between them. That's that's in the first description of uh, Rashi. I don't remember exactly when when that takes place in the book, as far as what page it goes. But yeah, he's in the library reading. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, it says that he has seven fingers. He's holding the book with both of his thumbs. I feel
0: like. What do you think is the advantage of two thumbs?
2: well i don't know what, what can we do with two thumbs or uh, one thumb but... we can
0: we can give two thumbs up movie exactly. reviews
2: <laughs> so... <laughs> their version of cisco and ebert on their own planet yeah, two thumbs up is a fucking diss yeah yeah only got two got thumbs
0: up whoa it's a failing grade
2: uh thumb wrestling is probably really elaborate yeah yes <laughs> like tag tag team thumb wrestling yeah yeah so, besides that, I don't know. Whatever we can do with... The, I mean, whatever we can do with the One of will thumb is way more interesting with two. Like, their toilet flushing apparatus is probably really elaborate. Yeah. Um, that's probably about it. Okay,
0: yeah. I mean, everything else, exactly the same. I would say, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to find... Besides,
2: that... gloves are probably different looking. Oh,
0: I would imagine so. Well, I was trying to find that spot where he is described, and I'm I'm not... I didn't get exactly there, but I I did find um, the page I was looking at. I'm guessing it's probably your favorite part of the book. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. Pretty sure it is. Uh, So this is when this George and Jean who become more important characters later on. I think it's maybe when we're introduced to them, but it's also they're going to this party. It's at this Rupert Boyce's house. And uh, that's where we're also introduced to Rashi. But uh, I'm just gonna just gonna audiobook a sentence or two where we're first introduced to Rupert. Okay. And I this I, I imagine this was your favorite part. So their host, Rupert, was standing beside the flyer, glass in each hand, looking down at them with a rugish expression. He looked down at them for the simple reason that he was about twelve feet tall. He was also semi transparent. One could see right uh, through him without much difficulty. <laughs> the end.
2: Yep, man of man of my of my own heart. Yeah, because uh, I'm 12 feet tall.
0: Exactly. That's that's what I thought you liked.
2: <laughs> yeah, here you nailed it. Uh, oh yeah, and, and, and that that and, that
0: and that roguish roguish expression.
2: Absolutely, I love rogues in any role playing game. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he's he's a good character. He's very. Flashy, place yeah. to show off all his wealth. Um, I, I hope that he gets well for that reason. I don't like him all that much because I'm a pretty humble being myself. So I hope he comes down with the uh, projection flu or virus.
0: <laughs> Bummer.
2: <laughs> yeah. So fuck him. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was looking for. Oh, yeah. One of the things I wanted to mention again. I think it kind of speaks to what I was mentioning earlier, where um, the overlords. Um, sort of understand things through through their intellect, uh, yeah. and through their intellect kind of only, because at that party that they um, that you mentioned just a little bit ago, mm-hmm. they sort of engage in a, uh, a seance over some sort of elaborate yeah. um, Ouija board yeah. type of thing, uh, which is nice. But, but what happens there becomes really big and interesting and important for the overlords um, because it is sort of a genuine paranormal experience Um, and where I think the stark difference is then between mankind and the overlords Mm -hmm. is that yes, like Rashi was basically, you know, sort of devouring this library, reading every book very rapidly, but, you know, can't experience the paranormal uh, in such a direct way that it has nothing to do with how smart somebody is. Yeah. Um, there's, There's a pretty wide range of people at that Ouija board um, different interests, different probably levels of intellect, but you know they all sort of experience it, yeah. And in a way that Rashi, who's just sitting there watching, can't. Yeah. Um, which becomes kind of an interesting and an important theme, I think. of yeah. Race in the book.
0: That is a. I mean, I think that that's one of the really great scenes in the book too, because that is when we've got probably as many of the main characters as we're ever going to have gathered in one place. So we've got Rashi there. We've got. George and Jean, we also mm-hmm. um, were introduced to that uh, Jan character Jan I, or Jan or Jan yeah I, I didn't know yeah I don't know I don't know hard <laughs> It's the first time we first time we meet him um, and mm-hmm. they're and the way we meet them is first they're all at this party and then second they're they're all specifically sitting around at a Ouija board trying to find stuff out um, mm-hmm. which I, I I saw was really a great scene for the book. That's also the scene, as you were saying, that then really sets the trajectory for a couple of the characters, like Jan in particular. Mm-hmm. He finds out the star system of where the overlords are from. From mm-hmm. the, uh, He learns that from the Ouija board. And then Jean has faints or something in it. And we find out later something special about uh, her son and daughter. Um, mm-hmm. That may have had like a pre-cognitive experience there, that Ouija board. So it's an important scene. It's a fun, like, not fun, but it's a it's a different kind of scene because it is kind of paranormal than anything else mm-hmm. that we've seen in the book so far.
2: Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's never really, um, which is probably important too. Like, it's never really explained, like exactly where the like voice or, or whoever they're contacting, like who that is, where yeah. they are, what kind of being they are, um, we kind of get maybe an implication. Like, we it's kind of implied on maybe a little bit once we learn what happens eventually in the book. But, uh, but it's never sort of explicitly explained, which is interesting because a lot of the, like, very scientific stuff in the book is very well sort of articulated. It's like how oh, light yeah. speed travel works, mm-hmm. how, you know, all these very, like, high level, like scientific things function, but we never really n- figure out how that works. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They got, uh, they got star drives in this universe, which I like. absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was thinking a lot about the three body problem in this book. I was also thinking a lot about sirens of Titan because in both of those books, you've got essentially some kind of extraterrestrial life interacting or interfering with human life on earth and Mm -hmm. and just the ways in which that interaction is characterized so as you were just saying like a lot of the scientific details in this are pretty precise Mm -hmm. um whereas in that that three body problem like even more so i mean that was like detailed to a fault almost um yeah whereas and, and then in this book though so that that first experience with the ouija board and then later on this like um artist colony essentially that has set up this creative pursuit on an island that's self-contained and living outside of maybe the, the direct like rule of the overlords. Mm-hmm. We start to get a few glimpses of those. And from where I'm sitting, like I really started to root for both of those, like that paranormal library I was hoping would like really come into play even more. And then, I was really on the side yeah. of these artists um, who were making like cartoons that were, I think at some point said like, yeah, we're having a lot of success with cartoons. Like we're doing great <laughs> with, and I was like, yes, please. But then both of those, again, they're, they have some bearing on the narrative, of course, but um, by the same token, they don't <laughs> just yeah. like at all. <laughs> um, yep. They're both squelched. And not even directly squelts. They're just like not useful to move the thing forward. Yeah. Which is frustrating.
2: It's interesting because that move or that movement or non movement where you said it doesn't really move the plot of the book forward by any means, like this artistic achievement. And also, it doesn't really move them as humans forward either. I mean, that's mentioned in the book where there's no real need for art and there's not really much achievement in it because there's nothing to struggle for, nothing to struggle against. It just kind of, I don't know, quote unquote, devolves into entertainment. Yeah. I remember, um, or I wrote down this quote. um, I don't remember who said it. My quotes are very poorly (laughs) articulated in my own notes here. Oh, this one actually has at least an attribution, quick quote, but Rupert's particular form of escapism so it's just, you know, everybody kind of has their thing and they're allowed to achieve at a, at a high level on human terms. Like everybody can go to school for a long period of yeah. time for free and everybody can kind of do whatever they want. But it's, yeah, even this sort of high level achievement in the arts and even in the sciences is just compared here to escapism. It's, it's what you do with your time while you're alive Yeah, uh, and there's, it doesn't have really any bearing on you know humanity's destiny or anything like that it's just sort of time filler
0: yeah yeah pretty early on after the overlords started their rule it it says that there's i think the order was something like there's no religion and there's basically no science and there's basically no art all of those i don't know how to characterize exactly all of those but i think that those are three things that Historically, you would characterize as really moving a species forward. All of those have essentially stagnated in this like utopia kind of enforced by the overlords. And, and so I, that, that idea of utopia is one that came up as well um, a few times. Again, though, in kind of a conflicted way, because on the one hand, I have this quote written down saying that boredom, boredom is the enemy of all utopias. And, uh, and so if people just have nothing to do, and even though everything's perfect, um, that that's the undoing of utopia <laughs> and another similar one that just said that, that no, there's not a utopia that can satisfy everyone. Like that's just not possible. That's, that's not a, it's an unreality.
2: Yep. Yeah, because there's then there's always somebody that you know is satisfied by chaos. Yeah, right. <laughs> and thus you know that's a yeah, it doesn't make any sense to them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's a really interesting in a. I this one, this book isn't near as funny as The Science of Titan, I don't think, but I think its uh, aims or sort of its central message is kind of similar. Yeah, saying like, yeah, humankind is sort of living this feudal dance uh that is entertaining and keeps people alive and wanting to strive for more but there might not be any sort of uh, there's no real purpose in it in terms of in terms that humans could understand Mm -hmm. i guess like it's it it is sort of useful but only on human on a human scale Mm -hmm. which i think is kind of interesting and yeah i guess humans can can decide to deal with that idea yeah. however they
0: choose yeah it it is a book that um even up to the end it's it's hard to know i think who exactly to empathize with because i would say by the end of it in my mind i was really i was feeling a lot more for the overlords by the end of it than for well the one like maybe classic human left jan who travels through time and comes back and is all by himself than than these generation of children, which we can talk about later, who um, who are now have become part of this like larger uh, collective unconscious, like ov- the overmind, mind, part of the hive, which, yeah.
2: Which yeah, I mean, I think we could might be useful, or interesting talking about Jan or Jan or whoever you want to say it. Yeah. His uh, like m- more about his sort of path because he essentially decides like. Nah, fuck it. I'm going to the Overlord's home planet. Yep. He was he was there uh, again during that séance when it's revealed sort of where their home is, and he figures out like where even more specifically where that is. Yeah. And then comes up with this plan to get on one of their ships and go there, but then yeah, he realizes that in traveling there. Their ships travel close to the speed of light, so it'll take four months of his life to get there and back. But it'll take 80 years in Earth time uh, for him to travel there and back. So that's really, I think, pretty interesting. Like He kind of knows the world he comes back to is not going to be the same as when he left. Nobody that's there that's still alive is going to be anybody that he knew but just out of this sort of human curiosity um, wants to figure it out. And it, you know, when you're learning about his story and whether his plan is to get put inside of a stuffed whale that... Yeah, I I want to talk about this. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Just quickly, like that... um, I don't know, that seems like it's the main part of the story. It seems like, oh, once he figures this out, then the whole thing will be solved. Like the book will come to an end. And Mm. in terms of that's kind of a dead end too. But yeah, go ahead with that. Okay, firmware.
0: he meets the Sullivan, who's a scientist who works at the bottom of the ocean. And and that's, so that's a whole nother storyline where I like this character. He seems great when, yeah. when, when Jan's going down there in a submarine and they have to like shoo off like a pet, uh squid or something to let him in. <laughs> yep. Anyway, we never hear from them again, but yeah, so his plan is okay, you're making like a, like a stuffed sperm whale fighting a giant squid to send to the overlords as because they want one. Um, yeah. And so he gets a little... He stows away inside of this whale. Oh, no, okay, yeah. So he stows away inside this. Then yep. the greatest thing that happens is when he wakes up from his couple-month hibernation, six-week hibernation, on board the overlords' ship... He just he walks in to where like the pilots are, and is like, "What's up, guys?" And just no reaction. Like they do not give a crap. Yeah. Uh, just keep going. And so, and so here, like he's this human. He's a stowaway. It's, um he, he expects there to be something, and just like no reaction at all. So then yeah. w- when they get to their planet, um I do want to audiobook this because this is this is the other end of first contact that I was wanting to talk about. So, On the Overlord's Planet, audiobook, it was two days before Jan left this building. He, he was an unexpected consignment, and they had nowhere to put him. To make matters worse, not one of the overlords could understand English. Communication was practically impossible, and Jan realized bitterly that getting in touch with an alien race was not as easy as was so often depicted in fiction. And so that idea that you've got your, your stowaway on an alien spacecraft, you get to their home planet, and there's like, w- w- we- they this don't care. Like, yeah. you're, so you're just there. And, and that idea that, well, yeah, like, so if you're contacted by an extraterrestrial race, a, a species not of your own, why in the world would you assume that this communication is even easier possible um, mm-hmm. at, at all? so so these aliens don't speak english he obviously doesn't speak whatever they speak their their gravity is totally different their scale is totally different and so he's just like a a hanger on and 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 not like blowing their minds like he maybe thought they would Uh, john do you remember you remember your first uh your first time your first uh First contact oh, with, a, first time with an an extra it like with an extraterrestrial. <laughs>
2: my first time with an extraterrestrial. Yeah, you remember that? Absolutely, but uh, you know, a, a gentle uh, holographic projection doesn't kiss and tell. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, that's
0: good of you. That's good. But that's I
2: good. will tell you that there were a total of four legs involved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not me, but whatever. You know. Uh, no, there's no hope for you. Yeah, let's just say there were uh, uh, 21, and uh, only uh, five of them at the time were mine.
2: <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. I hope that there was, yeah, I, like it was still an odd number, so I hope that everybody else, there's two people that had odd numbers. <laughs> while, while yeah, um, you, yeah. you,
0: you do the arithmetic.
2: Yeah, it's tough. Math is difficult, but uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. What were we talking about right before this?
0: Um, Speaking of, well, matter.
2: I mean, things with multiple legs. Yeah, that fucking uh, giant squid that was in the battle. Do you get? Do you get off to that? <laughs> that took <laughs> your fancy.
0: How many? How many legs did that one have? Did it say?
2: I'm um, assuming. I mean, enough. yeah, too many.
0: <laughs> Standard squid stuff.
2: But, but I don't whales like either because they have zero. Oh yeah. Well, I, the only thing I like about that whole thing, that scene with those two things battling, yeah. is that one of them's going to die at least. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, which one do you hope dies? Uh,
2: both of them, but <laughs> if I had to choose, I'm going to go with the giant squid.
0: Well, screw that further, guy.
2: <laughs> further away from two legs. Uh,
0: uh, let me um, let me let me give just one more big big spoiler to really describe how we get to towards the end of this book. At some point, I think maybe Carolyn is talking to somebody on Earth and really explaining what their job is. So a, a lot of times Carolyn says, like, let me check with my boss and see if I can do this or not. And people on Earth are like, what does he mean? Um, what's he talking about? So at, at some point, though, he comes right out and explains their role, which he doesn't himself entirely understand. But essentially... They are the overlords, and he's explaining to I don't know who, and says basically we, the overlords, we ourselves have. Uh, he calls them the overmind. Oh, and then he also oh he gives he gives an example of how to understand it, which I think you'll understand um, as well. He says you called us the overlords, not knowing the irony of that title. Let us say that above us is the overmind using us as the potter uses his wheel. And your race is the clay that is being shaped on that wheel. So it's it's just like in Ghost. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah the overmind has movie. their arms around the overlords.
2: Actually, wait. No, this is even more involved. Like, Ghost is even more involved than in that metaphor. Yeah. Because okay. what if there's like an overmind above the overmind. And that's Patrick Swayze. Whoa. high, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then there's you know a potter and then a master potter, and then there's the wheel and then there's the clay and then there's the fornication and all, the whole deal.
0: Patrick Swayze.
2: Patrick Swayze is the over overmind. <laughs>
0: that makes sense.
2: Yep, he's you know he's the real hero of all holographic projections.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, you all aspire.
2: We all aspire to be Swayze sh- at the wheel, as we like to say. <laughs> it's a common quote in uh, holographic projection world, Swayze, take the wheel. Uh, oh, you're laughing at joke. So yeah, I, I believe mocking you. Mocking my culture.
0: Yeah. Well, if S- S- Swayze take the wheel of this podcast, because, <laughs> come on.
2: <laughs> we're driving it into the ground.
0: Jan. I think we were talking about Jan, or Jan. Well, so he's he's on the Overlord's planet. He does hang mm-hmm. out and go to their museum and see a lot of really neat stuff. All um, kinds of neat stuff. Yeah. Um, but eventually he does make it back to Earth. So it's now 80 years have elapsed on Earth. He's basically the only human back there. I guess then we kind of get the exciting conclusion uh, in which the Overmind...
2: Absorbs. Takes the wheel, uh, yeah. Yep. Absorbs
0: Earth's children,
2: in that Earth itself.
0: Yeah, and uh, and then meanwhile, though, Carolyn is in radio communication with Jan back on Earth. Um, and do
2: you, you want to yeah. uh, role play that?
0: Yeah, yeah. We probably should. Who who okay. do you want to be? Uh,
2: I'll be Ka- Carolyn again.
0: Okay, uh, so you are on on your ship at this point. You've left Earth. Yep. I'll be I'll be Jan. And okay. I'm uh, I'm back on Earth.
2: All right, uh, I'm Carolyn back on my own ship again, uh, heading back to my home planet. And thank goodness over this four month journey or two months or whatever, that I got all this delicious sweet tea. Let's check in with Jan.
0: Thanks, Carolyn Well, it's a clear day here on Earth.
2: <laughs> Jan Jan Hendricks reporting <laughs> from Earth.
0: That's right. Uh, it looks like, uh, it was cloudy this morning, but the sun's coming back out. Uh, it's looking like a beautiful day to observe the end of the world, here. Yeah?
2: Well, the sun will come <laughs> up tomorrow, as they always say. I don't know why I'm mimicking <laughs> your
0: voice and your expression. Why, why, you're learning our Earth ways. Well,
2: See, that's the sweetest thing anybody ever said to me.
0: Not as sweet as your sweet tea, Karellen. <laughs>
2: Nothing in the universe is, sip. <laughs>
0: Why, what's this? The earth is slowly disintegrating. See?
2: <laughs> well, good. I'm going to harvest some of that cause it's the secret ingredient to my sweet tea. What's that? Earth bits? <laughs> exactly. Earth bits. Harold's <laughs> Earth Bit Sweet Tea. It's the sweetest thing you'll ever taste.
0: Well, I see. How, how, <laughs> how have you been harvesting it? Were you just. Sh- Sh- shoveling
2: dirt into <laughs> Water? Of course Of course I've been shoveling dirt Why do you think I have seven <laughs> fingers So I can hold two shovels in each hand Oh, I see, that's the bonus Of two thumbs, see? Uh, my accent is all over the place I'm sorry Likewise, I was I Alright, a- see you later Well, bye <laughs> that's it that's the
0: end of the book that's exactly how it ended i mean we, we were we were reading we were reading exactly from the pages here uh,
2: we forgot we have to go back and edit in that was uh audio booking it exactly um Ooh, anyways uh, yeah so, so uh, but yeah basically carolyn as she's he or, he or she, <laughs>
0: never says exactly there's no this. gender
2: norms in uh, on their planet yeah or, oh whatever
0: imagine no gender norms And no religion, too.
2: (laughs) They're all a bunch of John Lennon and Yoko Ono's merged into one being. Yeah,
0: finally. Cool
2: glasses. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, essentially, Karen Land is on his or her spaceship. And looking back towards Earth, sees it sort of disintegrate uh, and be absorbed into the overmind uh, and actually, it seems like admires, um, envies, um, but also feels somewhat bad for mankind. I mean, mm-hmm. envies the, the children who are basically not even Homo sapiens anymore. They evolve to, mm-hmm. to become this sort of other being that can sort of exist with the overmind. Um, and then feels bad for uh, mankind because they do... You know, they do have this ingenuity. They do become this race that can, you know, exist with the Overmind, um, but eventually, you know, are doomed. Yeah, they uh, they all die, with Jan being the last remaining yeah. one.
0: Well, and so I guess that's that's that to me is then is where it gets kind of complicated. So, you know, throughout the book, there are these references when the overlords are just kind of in control. There's this idea that. That the soul of mankind, quotes, um, is being lost, and mm-hmm. then at at that very end, what you were just just describing, the overlords say that something about their species, like because they don't have this like paranormal part of their brains or whatever, they mm-hmm. they can't um, join the Overmind. But Carolyn at the end is saying like he's finally going home to their home planet and is is in, to some extent i think content with the idea that well the overlords though they at least can't lose their souls now whatever you mean by soul exactly but i mean so i think that that's where this is an interesting and kind of conflicted end because maybe humankind can evolve beyond a certain point but at what expense and so, yeah. and and vice versa with the overlords
2: yeah, I think it kind of—it's interesting because it kind of depends on what you would imagine the uh, these like sort of new beings, like Earth's children, that can sort of become part of the overmind. Like what you imagine they feel like, or if yeah. they, you know, if they even can feel. Because in some sense, which makes which would be interesting if you think about the iconography of the devil, like that these beings. like they've reached the pinnacle of their civilization but they can't go anywhere from there Mm -hmm. like they are forever stuck in a kind of quote-unquote hell where you know anything they do is they and they know it more than anybody else they know it's worthless they know Mm -hmm. that there's no point in their sort of existence except for bringing other beings to be able to be like become one with the overlord Mm -hmm. or the Overmind. So I don't know. I mean, if you think of the Overmind as some sort of God Mm -hmm. and mankind, like they're you know they're evolved kids essentially that Mm -hmm. can become part of it. I don't know. It it sort of fits with like a sort of biblical narrative in some ways. It
0: it is. It's it's tricky though. Like I I I think you're right. Like it does depend. I guess on what those like evolved kids and the Overmind actually feel, because on the I think as I read it, I was thinking like, well, this, this just sounds a lot like another utopia. And like Mm -hmm. we kind of said throughout the book, like, well, a utopia doesn't work. And I think that there is, I mean, I'm glad you just said it that way, because I think that there is some idea of the idea of heaven that is like stasis that is very much like the same and unchanging, which is a little bit unappealing yeah, I mean it is a tricky ending for me in terms of who exactly to empathize with.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean I could almost imagine if if the Overmind's the, the races that sort of become part of it didn't like weren't absorbed so they could like still retain at least their bodily identity. Yeah. It be it be interesting to think about like what the Overmind would do. It's like they like would it just have wars among its own planets for fun? Yeah. Like just, to, yeah, just just to shake things up a bit. I don't yeah. know. It's yeah, it's it comes to a very uh, in in a way that I think a lot of Kurt Vonnegut books, like The *Signs of the Titan* itself, come to like a kind of uh, ambivalent ending. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. I don't I don't really know how to feel about the ending, which is I think kind of the point because yeah. it, it wants you to question these things, like you know, what is the point of Art, what is the point of, you know, striving towards essentially stasis? Because yeah. that is, you know, that that is essentially what we are or what, like, mankind is striving for. Mm-hmm. The end to war kind of literally means, um, yeah, you no know, more struggle for something higher. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, those. Interesting. Uh, I know. Those, uh, like those, the, so the first kids that, uh, actually, tell you what. John, why don't we, uh, take a commercial break?
2: Uh, okay. Alright. I gotta piss
1: anyways. (laughs) Try Carolyn's sweet tea today. Carolyn's sweet tea. It's the sweetest tea in the galaxy.
0: (laughs) And we're back.
2: (laughs) Man, I pissed real good. (laughs) Too Much Carolyn Sweet Tea, available at your local CVS Pharmacy.
0: And we're back. <laughs> uh,
2: good, I'm, I'm glad we're back, because uh, I just went to my local <laughs> CVS <laughs> Pharmacy. <laughs> and, what did uh, you get at that Pharmacy. I got some meds for this fucking virus. Oh, uh,
0: they got those there.
2: Yeah, it's, is it uh, a ho- can you read the read the label?
0: Yeah, is it a holographic CVS? Uh,
2: take three holographic pills per uh, <laughs> per pill taking session.
0: Oh yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. Um, do not take with alcohol. Do take with Carolyn's Sweet Tea, the sweetest tea in the galaxy. That's nice how
0: that rhymes.
2: And we're back. <laughs> well, I mean. That was mean, a really long and convoluted commercial break. Yeah,
0: it was really bizarre, huh?
2: hmm Anyways, where were we? Uh, right here on the pod, John. Oh, yeah. It's nice in here. It's mm-hmm. spacious. I that like was... it. One of the things that you don't know about holographic projections, uh, we're just like gases. We fill all available space in the container that we're in. That's
0: right. Fortunately, I can walk right through you.
2: Yeah, I'm surrounding you.
0: Hey, speaking of, though, speaking of the pod, uh, do you want to see if Dyson's around?
2: I do, absolutely. <laughs> okay,
0: I do, too. I
2: was hoping you would ask.
0: Let's uh, let's just check it out. I can just holler, right? Yeah,
2: just... Dyson! guys on i guess while we're waiting we could uh perform this week's listener challenge uh all right uh ladies and gentlemen and two-legged creatures of all kinds uh it's time for this week's listener challenge uh so for this week's listener challenge uh i have to ask you all he has to how i have to buy contract
0: podcast rules
2: with the Listener Challenge Corporation of Listener Challenges.
0: Um, it's a it's an independent reviewing uh, quorum. reviews yeah, all the Listener Challenges across yeah. the galaxy.
2: I have to fill out a shit ton of holographic paperwork. You wouldn't even believe it. Um, so, Carolyn tells Stormgrin in Chapter 1 that he will be back... Or no, he'll, he'll reveal himself uh he will reveal the nature of his being on planet earth after how many years Mm. the answer ladies and gentlemen and two-legged beings of all kind is 50 so if you can dispute my claim that it is 50 years you will win a fantastic prize from your local cbs pharmacy if you can't then go fuck yourself Alright, and that was this week's Listener Challenge.
0: Does that uh, prize have, have anything at all to do with uh with with uh something that rhymes with Bear Ellen's beat
2: G? Uh, it's actually uh, yeah, I mean the prize is a prize pack from Carolyn's Beat Tea. <laughs> it's just a bunch of beats we mashed up. Carolyn's beat tea. And we're back. Delicious.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, no word from Dyson, but uh, we'll we'll see if he wanders into the pod. I know he probably can't get out of that cage though that we put him in. So (laughs) why
2: did we put him in that cage anyways? I forget. (laughs)
0: Um, I think it was to to lock him in our time so that his uh, his teammates couldn't get him. Yeah, time
2: time cage.
0: Yeah, time cage. So we didn't go back to the 1980s.
2: Sure.
0: Well, I I think that what I was going to say before the break, besides how delicious Carol and Sweet Tea is.
2: Oh, it is delicious, isn't
0: it? So delicious.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, the
0: other thing I was going to say was um, what's about these, these kids and the first kids who start to behave strangely. So this is uh, George and Jean's son, Jeff. He's hanging out down by the beach. There's a tidal wave that's about to... Drag him under, and he hears a voice telling him, like, hey, get out of there, get up on higher ground, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then he starts having these dreams where he sees all these other planets, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and then their little baby, the little baby girl, uh, starts moving stuff with her brain. And uh, yep. then. As it, kids
2: are
0: wanting to do. As they always do. Kids these days. And then it just goes from there, and all the kids in the world start doing whatever. The overlords know about Jeffrey, their son, and interfered, I guess, to, to be the ones to like save him and say like, hey, get up on higher ground. But besides that, they don't, they only know that they need to, he needs to be preserved. They don't know why. They don't know any, anything beyond that. From then on out, though, all of these kids start doing these same things. And eventually it's the kids, it's all the kids who, um, who become part of this overmind. I don't actually remember now exactly what triggered it in the kids. If, uh, if, that's even, if that's even important, it might not even be important.
2: I feel like because Gene also has some of these, like, sort of extrasensory powers. Yeah. Um, but I think what was mentioned in the book was that these kids, like, that generation is the first one that hasn't lived long enough with the sort of human kinds. Yeah. Um, uh, the way that they deal with the world, their traditions, their, you know, sort of general outlook. And so they were open to kind of ex- not necessarily explore them, but um, but not judge the ways that they're doing things, like not try and suppress them, not um, deal with them the other way. And, and I think that's why. That's exactly right. Yeah, that, that's I think that's why yeah. um, really why the overalls had to come and stop the Earth from either you know, destroying themselves yeah. or getting too far outside of their world or whatever.
0: It was like most everyone under 10 and almost no one older than 10 that, that, that like this took for, Mm -hmm. and that, and that just had to do with being there having like literally being formed in a certain way to be susceptible to certain modes of thinking or ways of thinking about the world.
2: They, They were the first ones born without, uh, too much of the world's ideology i guess yeah. do you think boredom brought that all on uh is boredom? boredom the key to success
0: uh let's see were they bored
2: this know. is an advertisement for boredom yeah. boredom get bored
0: stay bored and <laughs> we're back
2: <laughs> boredom get bored stay bored skateboard boredom skateboards for your boredom <laughs> and we're back
0: okay i mean that's interesting actually so the thing that happens when Jan gets back on Earth is that uh, he doesn't have really anything to do because there's no other people left, mm-hmm. and so he starts he starts playing the piano a lot. The only funny thing in the book, one funny sentence in the book, is um is this joke like, and he's the best pianist in the whole world um, because oh, he's, yeah. he's the only human. <laughs> Get it? Um, hey. hey. Pianist jokes. Yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, still no word from Dyson. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that is interesting because even though those kids, well, Jeffrey was growing up on that like artist colony with his parents, but still, like, was the one to like uh, be the first, the first kid susceptible to the overmind or open to the open mind overmind. I don't know. I I guess the, the idea of, um, of the human race evolving beyond itself in this book is a little bit different than, in, I guess a lot of other science fiction that I've thought more about. Mm -hmm. I I think actually, well, I think our very first podcast, when we read do androids dream of electric sheep and watch blade runner, I think Mm -hmm. that the direction of human evolution that we think about a lot more and that, happens spoiler is towards more towards robot um you know androids and mm-hmm. you know more of these robotic or mechanical parts which is almost the opposite of this book where it evolves yeah. like out of the body and uh, and strictly yeah. into this extra mental whatever state mm-hmm. um so I, I think that that was maybe part of why i just had a hard time kind of reconciling this idea in my head was even like it, it's just a different trajectory than i think about a lot
2: yeah it's almost like the the idea of like the spirit evolves because mm-hmm. it's i mean they, they say early on in the book like all the religions go away mm-hmm. um, but then that's one of the things mentioned by Rashi when he's going through the library like that's kind of part of it, like spirituality or, you know, this, this other thing that's not in the, necessarily in the mind. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not, you know, it's not taken in the book. It's not treated with those sort of quote unquote spiritual terms, Yeah. but, but that's kind of, I think what they're getting at, like that that is the difference between the overlords and humankind is that we do have these sort of irrational superstitions or, the sort of other thing uh, which we can evolve and harness that, you know, the sort of super intellectual overlords can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ultimately uh, their, what, saves them or what gets yeah. them dissolved? Or, what, I don't the, know, however you look at it.
0: The, the kids, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, that's the a thing. Like it, That's where, at, at the end, I just, I still, like, I guess just depending on, your point of view on it, the kids or the overlords with their outcomes for each of them, they're either preserved or dissolved just sort of from your point of view of the thing. And I'm not sure that one way is correct. Like I said, I definitely by the end, that last conversation that we had uh, with uh, Carolyn and Jan I really did empathize with both of those characters at that moment and that radio conversation they were having, just literally describing yeah. the earth disintegrate. Um, yep. Cause at that point you felt like, okay, here's one of these old human beings and one of these overlords, neither of which are going to like achieve Nirvana mm-hmm. and, and all that they can do is like sit by and describe it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, both are sort of sitting on the sidelines of yeah. a destiny that we cannot achieve. Yeah, it's um, luckily for the fucking overlords that they get at least go on. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, but you know, Jan was content. He was the best pianist in the world.
0: Exactly, he was, and he knew it. <laughs> he did know it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most interesting part to me. Is that that at the very end, just uh, because I, I guess that's that's the question again. Like, is it? is it the earth getting blown up or is it nirvana? Like, and I don't entirely know.
2: Yeah, it really, um, and the people that are listening to this will, will have a good appreciation for this because, uh, YouTube, which is one of the main forms of discussion, our time now, uh, which, which came into existence in our, you know, our audience's time, it really gives you a good appreciation if you're of the belief that being absorbed into one consciousness is not the ideal nirvana situation. It really gives you a good appreciation for the trolls out there, yeah. uh, the people that are just you know basically I don't know sort of mental anarchists. They yeah. just want to stir up trouble and make sure nobody's happy. Yeah, because at least I guess yeah. people like something to struggle against. Yeah. So I, I don't know.
0: That's interesting. Are you... So,
2: out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you lifted up that, that frosty glass of... <laughs> frosty
2: Caroline's. glass of sweet tea. Actually, this is actually the beet tea, but I see you have some sweet tea. Yeah, uh, yeah. Raise your glass and yep. for your health. Clink. That, that was not an added sound effect. That was the actual clink of our glasses hitting each other.
0: So you're making the comparison from like a um, like an online collective unconscious... So would you say that like the trolls in that scenario, are they the ones, is that human boredom? Like, what are
2: they? Uh, I was, t- t- to be honest, I was not taking it that deeply. All I was saying is I... that it really makes, makes your heart go out to the trolls who are yeah. just out there stirring up trouble. <laughs> but if, I, if I had to, I mean, but it probably is. Uh, if you think about the time period that we're casting to, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's probably already some symptoms of this, especially in highly developed countries where like day by, like their day to day experience, there really is no specific struggle. Mm -hmm. They're not, there's nothing obvious for them to fight for, especially. um, And I I know this from research, especially the white males uh, in America who have, you know, are essentially are born with, a sort of genetic makeup that puts them quote unquote on top of the world. Like they, there's nothing uh, inherent that they can struggle against. So they decide to either, Mm -hmm. you know, take the, dig their heels in and say, we're the best and we should be and everybody else sucks. Mm -hmm. Or they just want to see the world burned because it's entertaining at least. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't know. I would say maybe that the trolls are a symptom of boredom um and yeah. not i mean yeah, yeah in this in this light not at all a good thing <laughs> but like i said it uh they do and if you're sort of lucky enough to not be you know to not take offense to the things like if you're in a position where you're also like it doesn't fucking matter whatever they're probably benevolent but or at least not actively malicious they're just fucking around yeah I don't know, it's interesting. But I do think they are a symptom of boredom, absolutely. Yeah. So I would say the trolls are more of an undermined.
0: Ah. The lesser talked about undermined.
2: <laughs> exactly. In, in
0: the Patrick Swayze metaphor from below, they're they're like the uh the slip bucket. Uh. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> they're all the shit that uh yeah, that gets cut away from the clay as you're making a pot. Yeah,
0: yeah, you just throw it back in the mucky yeah. water.
2: Exactly. Or or the stuff that like just ends up on the side of the potter's wheel and just dries out and yeah. becomes like nothing, gross <laughs> dust. So, trolls. To your trolls. Yep. I'm raising my frosty glass of Carolyn's beet tea. I'm raising
0: my frosty glass of Carolyn's sweet tea.
2: Well, I'll be dipped in buttermilk. <laughs>
0: That's the other catchphrase for it. Yeah, it is. John? Yep. You, I don't know if you remember this, but um, last podcast you instituted a new segment, and yeah. um,
2: I do not remember. Please enlighten me. Yeah,
0: it's a good thing that I went back and listened to it here pretty <laughs> recently, or I would have forgotten. Because it's a good one, and it's uh, the the rating system that you were hoping no, to institute. Rating where, the books? where we rate the books that we read.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, you go first. Hold on. Before that, is there a... uh,
0: Was there a
2: a, a, song? song?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was. Now, what was the name of the segment called?
2: Hold on. This is your Axe to Grind. Uh, This week's Axe to Grind is about forgetting things that you didn't forget. Uh, So, so listeners, you ever forgot your mom's birthday? Don't do that, you fucking idiots. Uh, You ever had... Uh, more than two legs, and you forgot about one of them? Stop it, dummies! Uh, that's we—that's this week's axe grind. Shoo, shoo. Yeah. Uh, but, uh. Sorry. What was so? Yeah. What was the name? Well, slash uh
0: I was trying to remember if there was an actual name for it because I—I f- feel like the theme song will
2: follow pretty
0: quickly behind. <laughs>
2: Uh, are you? Lying, I should just make it up, or should we just make a new one, or should we? What well, do we do? Well, what do you what do
0: you think the exact name is? Is it? Uh,
2: um, it's
0: us rating. I'm gonna
2: guess it's probably just called rating systems. Yeah, and the, the tune of it goes to the tune of Reading Rainbow. Okay. Rating, rating systems. systems. <laughs> rate a book because it's a book. Rating, rating systems.
0: systems don't take my word for it dummies just rate it <laughs> and that brings us to this segment rating system
2: rating systems um, hi welcome to rating systems hi. i'm your host john love and with me as always
0: lavar burton hi brent hi john how are you today um i'm okay i got a little bit of a space flu
2: all right i don't care uh have you have you talked to lavar burton recently
0: uh yeah
2: good (laughs) yes what what would you rate the last time you heard from him as Uh, seven out of what
0: uh seven Good job. Um, uh,
2: all right. So I'm so ready to speak, rate this uh, book. This week on rating systems, uh, we have Arthur C. Clarke's book, Childhood's End. What do you rate Childhood's End?
0: You know what? I feel like last time I tried to undermine this segment, uh, but this time I have an actual rating system to use. Now you're,
2: now you're going to overmind this segment?
0: Yeah, I am. <laughs> wow. Uh, I Got see, see what you did there. I'm going to rate this one on the actual the Overlord rating system that we talked about earlier, and I'm going to give it three out of four thumbs
1: up. Oh shit! What a
2: what a good rating system. Hey, John. Pro at this.
0: John, do you need me to uh,
2: fill some minutes for a minute? (laughs) Nope. Okay. Uh, I totally got this. All right. Um, I'm going to probably stick with my previous rating system that I'm assuming that I used last time, but I do not remember distinctly, and go with 1.75 legs out of two legs. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, good segment, and that was rating systems. Take a look... In a book, <laughs> radiant, radiant systems.
0: systems. All right, yeah, good job, good good segment. Yeah, I I really I just listened to the last podcast and heard that that showed up in it. So I I'd like to honor that one. I think it's a good segment.
2: Yeah, it's probably the best segment we've come up with in the past two podcasts. It's
0: probably true. I mean. Since uh, since Dyson to be found today, we're we're down a karaoke corner, and I'm 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 really looking forward to that because I have a new theme song for it. But not till not until the next time, I guess.
2: Well, I think we already came up with one new theme song tonight. <laughs> for, <laughs> At for least rating, for rating system, rating corner, what is it called? <laughs> rating system, rating rainbow. I forget. Rating actually, that's probably better. <laughs> next week we'll make it a denim and call it rating rainbow. Okay. <laughs> All right um now what
0: well do you have anything else to say about this book
2: read it you dummies
0: yeah that's what i would say exactly i, in already, those I words. already
2: said it so you have to say something else
0: uh hey you dummies <laughs>
2: read it and then rate it <laughs> send your, ratings send, in your ratings. ratings send your ratings into rating rainbow at gmail.com
0: uh yeah cc lavar burton at gmail.com <laughs>
2: Actually, if LaVar if Burton could rate this book and then the podcast itself, then mm. we'll just quit the podcast. Probably. Because, yeah, I don't know if you guys knew this, but LaVar Burton is immortal and uh, is our biggest celebrity, nine hundred mm. years in your future. So if we got him to even notice us.
0: And by biggest, John means physically. The he's so big. He just every year he's not only he not only gets older, he gets a little bit bigger.
2: Yeah. Um, um, I, this is so. I, I have not done the math, but w- what I've heard is that his head currently, and he's normal human proportions. His head is currently the size that your modern day Earth is. Yeah. So, think about that. You do the math. in your lives. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, in that case, I think John, we only have one more thing to do on the podcast, and that's uh, that's wrapping
2: it out. Let's wrap it out. Uh, you, wanna you, you want to go first? You want me too? You want to? If you want to project a beat, I uh, uh... will project a beat as best as I'm able. All right.
0: Yo, 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 yo. It's the end of childhood. I'll take your womanhood to a new level. This table's got a bevel. Take you to the overlords. Drink that and sweet tea. Make you have to pee. You drink a lot of it on a hot July day. Makes you wanna say, this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanna eat this like it was food. <laughs>
2: yep. 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 Dropping that beat like it's through a lens. the yard. That's your yard, not my yard, where the grass is greener. I was going to say tart, but that's not nice. You see me making chicken with rice. You see me drinking my tea with ice. You see me splicing beets. Because I'm a beet farmer, and that's what I like to do. Beet farmer like uh, Rick Ross. He's a famous beet farmer. He's a boss. He don't wear lip gloss. He wear chapstick. He's got a fat stick. That's a trunk of a tree. Hear me? (laughs) Like Corellan's sweet beet tea. Good rap! Woo! Good rap! Alright, see you later. All right, bye.
1: Imagination They lack Everything's the same